Fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about mainstreaming neo-reactionaries with my friend Vienno. Ugh. How are you, Vienno? I'm okay. I'm alive. Uh, this is my last recording pre-getting my first shot of the vaccine, so... Hell yeah. That's nice, at least. That's something. How are you? I'm good. I guess this might be the same for me. I think my vaccine is on on Tuesday of next week, which would be the scheduled record session for us. So maybe we're not recording next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to figure that out. But yeah, we're, we're both getting vaccinated. It's going to be sweet. We're going to get that sweet 5G. Hell yeah. I've been waiting so long. My connectivity's been bad. That's good. It'll, ma- it'll make uh, recording the podcast smoother. We won't have these like audio delays. You know, it'll be wonderful. Yeah, like it'll be, it'll just be real time. Like we were sitting next to each other because the 5G is just connecting us that fast. Well, once we get two vaccines, it'll be so 5G reverberating that we'll be able to record in the same room. <laughs> it'll be basically 10G at that point. Double the G because we're in the same room, you know? 5G squared. I guess today's going to be a long episode, so uh, rather than drawing out uh, this connectivity conversation any further, <laughs> we should just get right into the meat. This is the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from May 24th to May 28th. On Monday, May 24th, Ezra takes the day off for the long weekend by playing all the clips. Every last clip of pastors being arrested in Canada for refusing to comply with COVID restrictions. Ezra also says, You know, we, we put out so many videos of Rebel News. I think it's too much for any one person just to watch them all. I confess I- Sometimes I don't even have time to watch them all. I don't know if I should feel called out or to take it as a challenge. (laughs) Ezra claims that the BBC broke a local Canadian news story that Toronto is the most locked down city in the world. The BBC article admits that comparing lockdowns is not always apples to apples since Toronto has never initiated a curfew. But it is also worth highlighting that the BBC article described Toronto as the longest lockdown, not the most locked down, as Ezra described it. Ezra is, however, hyperfixating on the fact that the news story broke in the BBC, as if this is some conspiracy that Canadian media is not covering this. He worries that Canadians are not going to know that Toronto is the most locked down city because Canadians, according to Ezra, don't read the BBC. They did a news report that shows... Toronto is the most locked down city in the world. It's just the most, more than any other city. We're the worst. I can think of six and a half million people in the greater Toronto area who might like to have learned about that fact, you know, in a Canadian media outlet and who still have not heard about it in a Canadian media outlet. Because really, unless you're an expat or a strange masochist, why would you be watching the BBC? Ezra claims the reason why Canadian media will not touch the story is because the Liberal Party has officially merged with the quote-unquote media party. I didn't see any Canadians following up on this BBC story. 
because the media party has merged with the Liberal Party. Was always that way to an extent, but Trudeau made it a formal union with his media bailout. It really is incredible how easily bought they all were. The only problem with this narrative is that the Toronto lockdown is the result of the Progressive Conservatives of Ontario and not the Federal Liberal Party of Canada. Ezra reads a listener's email that claims that lowering the age of consent for vaccines to 12-year-olds is an attempt by the government to take children away from their biological parents. Bruce writes, vaccinating children without parental permission is the latest ploy to arrest the authority of parents by the government. Socialists have done that for decades, and this is just the latest move by so-called progressives to confiscate children from their biological parents. That is right in so many ways. Ezra is more upset that this is being sold as urgent. This pandemic's been around for more than a year. So why can you not wait one day to have parents uh, give their consent and have them involved? Why is it so urgent that you must do this right now? Of course, the longer the virus has a reservoir within any population, it is an opportunity for new variants to emerge. That is why the government feels this is urgent. However, for Ezra, this is abuser behavior. He compares the government policy to child abusers manipulating their victims. Uh, whatever other adults say to a child, shh, don't tell your parents we're going to do something, that's a manipulative move that, frankly, is a form of child abuse. A clinic in Toronto was offering free ice cream for those who get vaccinated. Ezra suggests this is the equivalent of a creepy dude in a van offering kids candy to trick a child. This weekend in Toronto, they had a vaccines for kids, vaccines for kids. Uh, right outside City Hall in a place called Nathanville Square, they were giving kids as young as 12 vaccines. Again, no parental consent required. And they're giving away ice cream if you did it. That's like, you know, these memes you see of a terrible beat up 70s van that says, you know, free candy, like a terrifying start to a horror movie just showing how you would trick a child to, oh, free candy, I'll go in this dangerous van, don't do it. You're saying, free ice cream, hey kids, if you get this jab, you get free ice cream. Now that I've said free ice cream to a 12-year-old a bunch of times, they can make informed consent on whether or not this experimental medicine that is not yet approved, but it's been authorized, and they'll know the difference. He also makes it seem like this was a way to entice children to get vaccinated without their parents' consent, even though there is no evidence 12-year-olds without parental consent took advantage of this free ice cream scheme. Ezra claims that parents make adult decisions on behalf of their children. The government should have no right to interfere with this. But the government interferes in all kinds of ways if a parent is abusing a child or harming them by medical neglect. It is sadly and disturbingly ironic that Ezra is framing the government as creepy child abusers while simultaneously advocating for a society that would shield and protect child abusers merely for the fact that they happen to be parents of the abused child. Another listener writes in saying the vaccine will have a higher death rate than COVID, and Ezra says he doesn't know if that is true. Tammy writes, that is, a wrong, that is wrong to do to kids. COVID vaccine have a higher death rate than COVID. I don't know if that's true for the general population. There is, of course, no evidence that this is true, but it does not stop Ezra from speculating. He claims only one kid has died from COVID in Ontario, which is not true, but also ignores the fact that 2% of hospitalizations due to COVID are children. He claims that giving children the vaccine is statistically absurd, but even if deaths were as low as he claims, 
Kids represent 20% of all cases, which means they help contribute to community spread of the virus. Given that there's absolutely no evidence that vaccines cause harm, the benefits of vaccination highly outweigh the imaginary harms that exist in Ezra's brain. And that is the week. The main theme this week, again, is media censorship, although it might seem a bit scattered because in talking about media censorship, Ezra hits upon a bunch of issues that are also worth going over, such as the Wuhan lab theory, QAnon, right-wing violence, and uh, some transphobia to top it all off. I'm also going to cover this week sequentially to see uh, how his own censorship narrative gets contradicted throughout the week. But we'll begin on May 25th by talking about the media bailout and how Ezra compares it to Facebook buying news content. So what happened was uh, Facebook has decided that it's going to financially support 14 Canadian news companies. Some of them uh, were decent but they were like mostly like local news. Uh, so they, they weren't like CBC or CTV. They were like the National Observer. I think uh, what's there's like one in British Columbia, the Thai. I can never remember how that's pronounced. They were one oh. of them. Interesting. Yeah. It was just 14 random Canadian news companies. So like, cool. I don't trust like that. But also like, I guess if they're not taking any sort of editorial control, then it's. I don't know, I guess giving some of the independent media places some money is good. I know the Taiyi does like a lot of really good work on um, indigenous issues, so mixed feelings. Yeah, I don't think there was any stipulation about editorial control, but of course that doesn't stop. That That's Ezra's main angle about this, is that somehow this means that now all these companies are going to have to positively cover Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, specifically, uh, mm-hmm. which is why, according to Ezra, Mark Zuckerberg is doing this. And the thing that I have an issue with is he wants to compare what Facebook is doing here to what the government is doing in the media bailout in order to say that... Uh, anyone who takes money from any type of like outside financial thing is going to be biased to that outside financial thing. And there's a lot to that. Like, I don't necessarily disagree with uh, the sort of like the, like what Ezra is trying to say here, but then it's like, there's, there's several things here that kind of piss me off, (laughs) which is that I think it's a lot different what the media bailout with the government is compared to Mark Zuckerberg giving people money and possibly having editorial control, right? Like the government is the same when we talk about things like the government's giving grants to like, uh, (laughs) that one journal in Kingston, which then Ezra said was like evidence that the Canadian government was spying on him, right? Because he doesn't understand grants and how grant process works. So when the government gives media a bailout, like I've read critical stuff on the CBC about Justin Trudeau. Do I think they go far enough against Justin Trudeau as I might want them to? No, but like, I'm not sure that the media bailout or getting finances from the government sufficiently makes people like anti-Trudeau or conservative depending on who the government is yeah like it's just a weird 
a weird line to take given that like there are a lot of other com like connections that you could make between like ruling institutions and how like the media interacts with them that are like actually real versus like oh yeah <laughs> the government doesn't want there to be zero news organizations in the country like so they're propping <laughs> up the major ones and probably some of the smaller ones as well to like make sure that news exists but it's like weird too because some of the th companies that are receiving uh media bailouts from the government are highly critical of the liberal like they've supported conservative governments like the national post so it's weird to like say that somehow the national post is now going to like not be critical of Trudeau? Like, I haven't seen them stop being critical of Trudeau, you know? Yeah. They still platform people like Rex Murphy and, uh, uh, why did it, her last name? Or Barbara Kay. So they still platform people who are, I would say, on the same level as Ezra Levant, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, like, I mean, it kind of gets into the fact that Ezra is incapable of understanding nuance or anything like that, where it's just like, yeah, ruling institutions want to protect the like media that exists that like makes sure that it's that Canada exists in like a perpetual two-party system they want to like maintain that sort of thing because that benefits both parties not just the liberals yeah but like thinking that the liberals could do anything that might benefit the conservatives because they are fundamentally the same party is just so unthinkable to Ezra that it's like, I don't know, like it's just impossible for him to approach that as a concept, it seems. I think the other sort of like bigger picture that he's always missing in the Canadian context is the the sort of like popularity um, amongst the public to want to support Canadian content, including news media. And that's the one thing, even with this Facebook story, because like I was confused in Ezra's coverage about, like, why would Facebook just be randomly paying these 14 companies just to, like, link to their sites? So it's like Facebook is paying them merely to link to their site, which seems, like, weird, okay? So I looked into it, and the people, everyone everywhere on every stripe is going, this is weird. Now, of course, those companies, those media companies, are probably, like, free money? Sweet. <laughs> And the only reason I could, like people speculate that this is happening is likely because of things like Bill C-10. So what this is, is Facebook going, we don't want to be regulated by Bill C-10. So look, look, Canadian government, look at us supporting Canadian news media, the people that because we existed, we defunded all this local media because we got people to post articles on our site for free and it like drained these companies of money. So it's like, look at us, we're good now, we're giving them back money, see? So now you don't have to regulate uh, internet uh, sites in order to make sure that they cater to uh, Canadians, some Canadian content. That's what's going on here, most likely. That makes a lot more sense. And, like, I could also see it as a slow attempt for Facebook to kind of enter the news sphere of its own right, if that makes sense. Like, because the way that, like, Facebook, with the attempted, like, media laws that were supposed to be instituted in Australia, 
if they weren't like helping boost Australian content or whatever it was, then like Australia was talking about banning Facebook. Whereas if Facebook is funding news companies and like possibly seeking some manner of ownership in them in the future, then it'll be a lot harder for the Canadian government to directly punish them in any way because then they would be also punishing their own media companies. So yeah, like it being a way to for Facebook to avoid regulation is like it just makes a lot of sense. The reason why like I feel like it's worthwhile bringing this up is because Ezra's own coverage of this is to make it all about Mark Zuckerberg and that's ironic given uh what happens later on in the week. So I do want to flag that. And specifically because Ezra says that uh Zuckerberg doing this is the equivalent of money laundering or bribing. Facebook is providing the traffic to those websites. And with traffic, of course, the eyeballs comes ad revenues. Facebook is literally linking and diverting people to these news websites, doing them a huge favor. Those news websites typically pay Facebook for ads to get that traffic. I bet most of them do. Because a Facebook link can turn into a river of cash for whoever the link is pointing at. That's how it works. How is, how is it benefiting Facebook? to send a customer from Facebook to a news site on a, a news story on a news site. Why would they pay for that? That's not real commerce. That, that's a payoff. That, that's a bribe. That's a kind of money laundering. Because apparently this is Zuckerberg bribing these media companies to give him favorable coverage or something to this extent. And really, who has more critics that he'd like to pay off than Trudeau? Well, how about one of the richest and most irritating men in the world, Mark Zuckerberg? the lizard-like founder of Facebook. And he's decided to get into the media payoff game too. All left-wing outlets, of course. I mean, he's only going to give money to the left. And I promise you this, you'll start to see a lot more pro-Facebook coverage in those outlets, or at least no more criticism of Facebook. As we said, this is likely a trying-to-skirt-regulations thing. But the fact that Ezra makes it about Zuckerberg is going to become weirdly relevant in the upcoming days. Okay. So the next day, <laughs> Ezra interviews someone named Alex Marlowe, who, along with Joel Pollack, is an editor at Breitbart News. He has a new book out that's called Breaking the News, which peddles the same boring right-wing garbage narrative that the media is super left-wing and is censoring the right. Something that we've heard constantly on Ezra's show. I wish it worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or at least, you know, I wish we had uh, reasonable expectations that some far-right content is taboo that we don't touch, you know? I wish we had any prominent, quote-unquote, super left-wing media yeah. <laughs> at all. Just any of it. it. It is, they always think that the left somehow, like, what, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook is, like, super left-wing? And it's like, no, it's clearly he's doing this for his... Uh, own financial interest and shit like this and trying to avoid the regulations so he can make more money. Crap like this. But Ezra starts off his interview with Alex Marlowe by dipping into the Wuhan lab theory. So we've, we've talked about the Wuhan lab theory for a while on our show because Ezra was talking about it since the pandemic hit, basically, which is the idea that COVID-19 either leaked or was engineered in a laboratory 
uh, in Wuhan's uh, virology institute. Now, the leak theory itself is kind of weird because it, it involves more steps than just this thing existing or spreading outside already in nature. So think about it this way. Say the bat, uh, it transmitted the virus to a pangolin as a possible intermediary, and then the pangolin gives it to a human. That seems more likely then a bat gave it to a pangolin. Then this research team picked up the pangolin, brought it to their lab, studied the, the pangolin in their lab. Then one of them accidentally caught the virus and then left the lab through some sort of mistake at the laboratory and released the virus into the, the world. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's too many steps and too many lapses of any sort of safety protocol. But, like, ultimately, you know, it's... The Wuhan lab theory is a cover for like, oh, China did this to us. We must blame China. We must destroy China or make China pay in some manner. Yes. And the thing that annoys me is that this news coverage uh, started to pick up on this recently, all because a bunch of scientists released some sort of statement saying it needs to be investigated more. And part of the frustration that the scientists are having is they haven't found the sort of like natural transmission vector. They haven't fully figured out that picture. And so they're going, well, since all the options are on the table, one of the options could be that it leaked from the lab. And wouldn't it be interesting if we were allowed to investigate and we weren't allowed to investigate? However, every scientist, almost every single scientist that signed this letter saying we need to investigate the Wuhan Virology Institute... Almost all of them agree that it's not very likely. It's just worth looking into. And yet because of this, all the sort of like lab leak uh, theories, the, the same people who believe that it was like genetically engineered in the lab, even though there's absolutely zero evidence that that's the case, all those people are now running around like they're victorious. Like we said it all along that it was from the lab and they all called us. They tried to censor us and block us from YouTube from saying that. And now even Fauci is saying it. And so therefore it's some sort of like conspiracy created by the media that initially made it a conspiracy to talk about the coronavirus when Trump was president, like the idea that it leaked from the lab. But now that Biden's president, we're somehow all allowed to talk about it and it's okay to criticize China again. And the funny thing on that note too, is like one of the scientists admitted that it, that part of the reason why they didn't speak up about the lab hypothesis when Trump was president was because of how xenophobic Trump was being that to to make it to even announce that maybe we need to investigate this would have been utilized by Trump to increase his xenophobia. And so it's not even necessarily that Biden himself is doing some sort of conspiracy, but even the scientists were realizing that the things that they would say would be politicized by Donald Trump and they were afraid to speak out. And that's aside from whether they should even be speaking out now, which I I don't know, the whole thing just seems kind of silly. <laughs> yeah it seems very much like oh now we have a return to normalcy so we can encourage racism again i'm i just don't i don't get it and part of me is like uh, like i don't care investigate it <laughs> like at the end of the day it's not like you know 
anything is possible. So if it possibly came from the lab, just fucking investigate it. I don't care. It's just like, I still, based on all the science and what the scientists are saying, I still think the likely outcome is that there was some intermediary species. And the thing is, people always, they want an answer, but we don't have an answer for some of the other uh, viruses that spread. Like, I think the uh, H1N1, I still think that they're debating where exactly it came from. They know it came from pigs, but they're not sure if it came from, like, I think it was down to, like, uh, Mexico or America, and they couldn't quite figure it out. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I think it is kind of, like, indicative of a larger problem within, like, science, science and, like, Western, I guess, circles, where it's, like, they feel the need to have a exact understanding of everything rather than like it's a kind of like arrogance in the face of the complexities of the natural world where it's like ah we one are capable of finding every single step that it went through and two like will for sure 100 percent be able to when it's like hmm maybe things are complex and there aren't simple answers pretty much ever like, that's not to say that it shouldn't be, like, looked into, but it's also the kind of, like, arrogance of, like, assuming that we definitely can. Yeah, I want to catch this, that I think the arrogance mostly comes not from the scientists, but mostly pressure from what I would just call, like, average, everyday, ordinary, non-scientists in the world. And part of this reminds me even about, like, pseudoscience in general. Like, a lot of people believe in alternative therapies because often science can't figure out what's wrong with you right it can't or like you get cancer and then you're frustrated because you're like well how did i get cancer what was the cause and the like the doctor isn't going to know what exactly was all the preceding events in your life such that this cancer was definitely caused by this event right and that leads a lot of people to to get mad at uh uh science you know yeah I, I mean, like, I'm not saying that scientists aren't also immune from this kind of thinking. I think uh, essentialist thinking pervades, like, almost everywhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. But there's an element in which, like, I think people generally get mad when they don't have an answer. I think, and given, you would like, I compared it to H1N1, but given how large COVID-19 affected our lives, I think that compels a lot of people to want an answer, even though we might not get an answer here. Yeah, no, I can see that. It's just, I don't know. I'm over it. I'm tired. I don't want to, yeah. <laughs> like, no more, no more COVID. Vaccinate everybody everywhere ASAP. Over it. It's not that we went far astray, but again, this is in the context of interviewing this dude, Alex Marlowe, and Ezra opens up his whole segment with talking about this Wuhan thing, even before Alex Marlowe opens up his goddamn uh, mouth. So then when Alex finally chimes in, he goes... Well, I'm agnostic about whether it was created in a lab or not. I'm pretty agnostic. I don't know if it's from the lab or from the wet market or it could have been in the wet market and then could have went to the lab and then got out. Uh, none of that matters to me nearly as much as the fact that the establishment media would have deplatformed you, thrown you offline, if you even hinted that maybe this coincidental lab that just happened to be right there in Wuhan that we happen to be funding in the United States, that that might have had something to do with this virus. Even that suggestion was grounds for cancellation. And my response to that is like, no shit, buddy. <laughs> like, 
like maybe maybe it's not good for you to speculate about this at all you know leave that to the uh medical or scientific community to discuss this shit instead of going on your speculation spree about it being genetically altered in a lab or not i hate these people You'll notice this all feeds into this censorship narrative, right? Because then Ezra then goes, We also see our own lab crisis. There's a uh, high-risk virus lab in Winnipeg, Canada, that had Chinese nationals working at it until it was shut down by the RCMP. But you're not allowed to talk about these things. At best, they'll call you racist. But at worst, they'll just vaporize you, cancel your channel, knock you off Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. And we'll get to the Winnipeg lab in a second, uh, because Ezra says some more stupid shit about it later. But the point being is, I know about the Winnipeg lab thing, because it was covered in the CBC. So it's like, even then, it's, it's not that we're not allowed to talk about these things. Ezra is just mad that he doesn't get to make up shit about these things. Which is like, yes, don't make up shit about things, Ezra. That's not good. But he wouldn't have a job anymore. Yeah. <laughs> good <laughs> that's the point yeah stop doing what you're doing Ezra. they then move on to cancel culture and the left broadly and we get to learn a lot about alex and a lot of his beliefs and they're not good i, I will remind alex barlow is the executive uh, editor-in-chief at breitbart news which means i think he's above joel pollock who's like just a senior editor marlow is one of the the tops of the editorial stance of Breitbart News. And Alex argues... Yeah, you're right about this, because the militant wing of the institutional left in the United States, and I'm sure it's similar uh, up north where you guys are, uh, it is getting more powerful, more angry, and more emboldened because they keep getting victories. So even though I think they're relatively few in number, I would say at most maybe 30% in the United States, they seem to have overwhelmed all of our major corporations and virtually every media establishment and tech platform. And that's very scary because even if, let's say, 50 or even 60% of people are with us ideologically, uh, we're kind of powerless to push back against that 30% number that are so determined to throw off any thought that they disagree with from the web. They don't think about in America, we've got the First Amendment, of course. I'm like, there's a militant wing of the institutional left in America? Hell yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? What's my favorite tweet? A lot of problems on the American left could be solved if the DSA formed a barely disavowed underground armed wing. Yes. Yeah, but it still wouldn't be institutional. Like, that's the thing that's weird to me, is they have this, like, myth that, like, somehow it's institutionalized. And that gets to the idea that, I guess, the CEOs at YouTube are all fucking anarchists or some shit. Which is like, I don't, I don't know about you, Vienno, but like, I do not think that there's anarchistic left-wing communists running YouTube. Thank you for not presuming that I thought the same as you there. They are obviously <laughs> Antifa infiltrators that have been deep in the game for a good 30 years, working their way through the tech stuff, slowly, slowly institutionalizing themselves so that they can fund... Antifa um, canceling barbecues or whatever else they're doing now. He claims that 30% of the population, in fact, has taken over the media and tech institutions. So I'm guessing he's saying 30% of the population is represented by the radical left, which even then, like, that would be 
awesome if true. I don't I don't know that it's true, but it would be awesome. God, that would be so good. And somehow just the small 30% we've taken over all of the media and technology institutions. <laughs> and because of this, okay, he then says, "Is that's my great worry is that being conservative yes. will now be criminalized." That's exactly right. We're now at a point in the United States at least where conservative thought is considered violence and violent actions by the left is excused. And you see it with the mostly peaceful riots from Black Lives Matter, that a lot of that was actually seen as acceptable because the cause was was just in the eyes of the woke media. Inshallah. <laughs> Black Lives Matter, apparently very violent and was praised in the media. Uh, both things that I don't think were true. You know, Black Lives Matter set fire to the fifth precinct I don't really consider that violence in the same way that they probably do, but that's besides the point. He also claims that there's very little right-wing violence, right? So black, what Black Lives Matter does doesn't, like, is so worse, it's violent, it's everywhere, but there's almost no right-wing violence. And I guess he realizes that saying that out loud, he has to backtrack, uh, or at least bring up something to explain away why it's not a good example of right-wing violence. He goes, uh, we were lied to about January 6th. Uh, January 6th, uh, four Trump supporters died. We were lied to about what happened to Officer Sicknick. Uh, this wasn't some sort of massive violent uh, event. It was a bad day. It was a terrible day for people who support Donald Trump. Uh, and I, I disavowed all of the violent actions at the time, and I do so in the book. But that said, it didn't turn into this widespread violent movement the way Black Lives Matter turned into. And yet the media treats still to this day, January 6th, like it was the worst day in American history and Black Lives Matter like it's some sort of noble cause. Now, here's the thing. Yes, four of the five people who died on January 6th were Trump supporters. That doesn't mean that it wasn't a violent riot. Some of these people died because of the stupidness of uh, or the callousness of their other supporters. Officer Sicknick, yes, died of things like a stroke and all that fun stuff, but probably would not have died of a stroke that day if people were not beating him with flagpoles. Right. So it's like the same argument that they used for uh, George Floyd by saying that, oh, what he really died of was these other things. When it's like, no, people usually don't like die of uh, like knee on neck. They usually die of other things that were then caused by having a knee on your neck. Yet this is the, the move that conservatives love to make to obfuscate any guilt they might have on doing uh, violence. I guess there's also like a point to be made about the conflation of violence against property with violence against human life, where, you know, burning down a few buildings or smashing some windows is equal to five people dying. And also, like, the number of, like, right-wing attackers on BLM protests last year as well is, like, that's just never brought up. That could never be touched upon. How many right-wing mass shooting events have happened in the past four or five years? Like, they make it sound like the right-wing violence is never happening. Right-wing violence far outweighs any left-wing violence at all in America and around the world. How many mass shootings have there been in the past, like, month? Like, they got to, like, 30% vaccinated and they're like, okay, we can start going again. Like... Even if you compare, like, some of the biggest terrorist attacks in America were not... Uh, done by left-wing uh, violence. They were done by, for example, Timothy McVeigh, 
who was inspired by Waco, Texas, and wanted to create a race war and blew up the Oklahoma City building because it housed some of the, uh, uh, the teams that were involved in Waco. Like, right-wing violence in America is huge. And you can tell that what he's doing here is he wants to downplay any... The right wing, we're so sweet, we're nice, we're not, uh, we're not violent at all, we're so kind. It's Black Lives Matter who are, who are all the evil people. And he argues, so to continue that thread, he argues that the January 6th thing, see, it's not violent because it didn't lead into some sort of widespread thing like Black Lives Matter did. It was so, it was just this tiny thing that was contained. Meanwhile, uh, most Republicans believe that the election was stolen. He then goes... Uh, Ezra, I don't know any white nationalists. I'm not saying they're not out there. I don't know any of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know a lot of QAnon supporters. I think I know one. Yeah. But we're constantly told that those are the people that represent the entirety of conservative America and is just not accurate. And it's being des it, the design is to throw us off their platforms. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I was just thinking about it. In my entire life, I'm 49. I grew up in a rural, uh, you know, suburb of Calgary. I went to a country school. Um, my, my sister and I were the only two Jews in a school of 400 kids. Um, like, I've been, to, I've been to places where you're supposed to find discrimination. In my 49 years, I have never seen a swastika. I've never seen a Nazi flag, except... Very recently, for example, the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas protests. Sure. So we're, we've been conditioned and trained to be on the alert for Nazis on the right. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm you know, I, I consider myself a, a Jewish, and I'm and I'm interested in Jewish cultural things, and I'm worried about anti-Semitism. I'm on the alert for it. I've never in my life seen a swastika except at a pro-Hamas rally, and I noticed the deafening silence from the official hate finders general on the left, the, the Anti-Defamation League, the SPLC. Up here, we got something called the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Just absolutely silent when you see swastikas or new Islamic-style Nazism on the left. But boy, are they hunting for it on the right, including amongst Jewish conservatives. Shut the fuck up. I'll also note, we did a whole thing on Ezra's book, Shakedown, where he defended a whole bunch of Nazis, but refused to call them Nazis. But there's pictures of the people he defended standing by a bunch of swastikas. He just likes to pretend like he doesn't have any connection or knowledge that this is happening, even though he wrote a whole, like an entire chapter in one of his books defending all these people in uh, Ontario. As for the, the Hamas pro-Palestine thing, he brought this up uh, the week prior as well, so I think it's relevant to bring this up. That actually happened locally to us. It was condemned by the people who organized the rally. It was one flag, and almost nobody saw it. It happened. It went away. It could have been uh, someone who completely does not support the Palestinian cause that dropped it down. We have no information on this whatsoever. But what we do know is that the organizers and most of the people involved condemned it, as they should. End of story, or at least it should be, right? But here's like the stupid thing about, or not stupid, but the most annoying thing is Ezra wants to use this to say that like anti-hate is so silent about all the anti-Semitism that exists on the left. But Ezra and Alex here are currently downplaying their own connections to the far right, the far right violence and Nazis. So it's like, look, we'll I'll own it when it's when people on my side are behaving shitty, but Ezra will never do that ever. 
Then, for the people who like to claim that they're like, oh, we're against identity politics, Alex then lists every single non-white and uh, Jewish person working for Breitbart, because apparently to him this proves that they can't be white nationalists. Fuck. (laughs) And I will say right here, okay, we know for a fact, because there's leaked emails, that Steve Bannon and... Alex Marlowe were working together with Milo Yiannopoulos to write an article to basically mainstream the far right. And they knew that Milo Yiannopoulos, to write this article, was working with Curtis Yarvin, who is a neo-reactionary. And we'll explain what that is in a second. So he's working with Curtis Yarvin, a person named Weave, who worked for Stormfront, as well as the Mercers, who funded and bankroll uh, Breitbart News, they worked all together to construct this article to then mainstream uh, this kind of far-right, neo-reactionary, white nationalist viewpoint to the world, to to water it down just enough to make it palatable to a wider audience, but like went to these sources to get this information. There's like tons of email communiques between Milo and Curtis and between Alex and Milo, who he knows is going to these people, okay? <laughs> so he wants to claim that not only is uh, they have no connections to Nazis and he's never seen a swastika in his life, but he was actively engaged in in trying to mainstream these positions to the public. And here he is on Ezra's show trying to deny it. Now, like I'll say, I think Ezra is very in the same boat, in the same way that he platformed people like Faith Goldie and Lawrence Southern to promote this shit to a, a public all the way back in 2015 when you had Gamergate and all these like... Uh, cultural movements that started uh, permeating the right wing. He was in on that, and it bit him in the ass when it turned out that Faith Goldie was a fucking neo-Nazi. But, like, these people, this is what they do. They launder these positions with a veneer of, like, oh, we're not guilty, we're totally innocent, we're just lovely people who it's been proven time and time again we have these connections with odious, odious human beings. And I will say, it's interesting. Ezra continues to praise on his show people like Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel bankrolled Curtis Yarvin. Peter Thiel also uh, supports a lot of these causes. And Peter Thiel is looked upon as uh, this individual that will will be the sort of like new leader to the neo-reaction feudal state. So explain that. What neo-reaction is, is this idea that was started kind of by Curtis Yarvin, he's usually given credit for it. He used to blog under a name called Mencius Moldbug. And the idea was that the left wing has taken control over the media institutions and the educational institutions. And they called this the Citadel. And the idea was that the Citadel is is now a communist, corrupt, left-wing institution, and they want to increase degeneracy in the rest of society. So the only way to fight back is to basically exit society and start your own like new like feudal states because the good the good way society should be is when you have a very strong masculine leader like a business leader who then organizes and structures your society. So they want to leave democracy, they want to leave society and go live in a feudal state led by their big business daddies. 
And Peter Thiel and often Elon Musk are the like figures that they usually go to. I hate this also like considering that it is literally like the same segment as the the radical left controls all of the media and all of the tech companies thing when it's like they are literally connected to the far right leaders of those tech companies. Yes, and but but you notice as well they're giving in to the fucking conspiracy theory that people like Kurt and Yar- Curtis Yarvin weaves. They're basically talking about the Citadel. Yeah, they're, they're spelling it all out there. It's it's this cultural left wing radicals who've taken over all media and big tech, and we're being censored. That, that's that's the whole thing, and they're being bankrolled by those, the the tech billionaires that support Curtis Yarvin. Like, it's so fucked up and so, should be so obvious, and yet they get to go on their little programs and say they're not doing it while doing it. And, like, I want to, like, point that out because it's so easy to just go, oh, well, how do you know that they're doing this? You should go look up this BuzzFeed article because they have the emails. They, They wanted to launder these ideas to the wider public. We can just link the BuzzFeed article in the episode description. We went on a bit of a a tangent there, but I think it's important. And it's also important because, again, they're going to talk about financing and wanting a financier and all this fun stuff. And remember all the shit that Ezra was saying about Mark Zuckerberg the day before. But we'll get to that in a second. He then goes in to say, Alex does, he says, we are proud to be pro-Israel, but we are known as this front of racism. So again, they're using... uh, it's clear that they exist in a community where they support neo-Nazis and other neo-reactionaries that peddle vaguely anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about people controlling the mass media. But then he goes, we're constantly being told that we're some sort of racist outlet. Uh, I know you're, you're close with Joel Pollack, who's an Orthodox Jew, is one of our top editors. Our copy chief is a black woman. Our entertainment editor is a black man. Our world editor is a Latino woman. I mean, we have gay writers uh, we have throughout uh, all time. The company's owned by Jews. Jews own our company. And it is, and uh, I'm half Jewish myself. Uh, we're, we're proud of that. We're proud to be pro-Israel. It's a, all of this, and we're supposed to be this font of racism. Yeah, because this whole interview, you've been saying that BLM are really the aggressors and there's no such thing as white nationalists. Also, being pro-Israel generally ties into being a racist. He then goes... And Andrew, he shared something with me that was very clarifying, is that he had two personas, uh, jocularity and righteous indignation which basically meant he would try to get through to people using humor when he could. And when humor wasn't getting through, then he would use his righteous indignation, his righteous anger. Uh, And those are the skill sets that we employ at Breitbart most of the time. When we feel like people are open-minded and are willing to laugh at themselves and are willing to see their own foibles, uh, poking fun is sometimes the best approach. But when they're really entrenched and they're really weaponized and they're really pugilistic and they're trying to destroy what we stand for and, uh, and maybe the people in our lives, then you got to turn on your righteous indignation and you got to make sure never to give an inch and to be as tough as humanly possible. And this includes defying the establishment no matter what the cost. Uh, again, I disavow violence. He disavows violence for himself, but if lone wolves want to gather together and be lone wolves all in a room together and, you know, then do some lone wolf actions, well, they can be disavowed. They can be, you know, isolated in distance and like, oh, they were just sad or whatever the fuck. 
we did on a live stream recently with this guy, John Doyle, that Ezra recently platformed on a show. And we were surprised when watching a video, like John Doyle's most recent content, and he's just a YouTuber, but his most recent content, he was basically like, we need to put communists in the ground. We have to do that now so that we can put the communists in the ground, metaphorically. Intellectually. Intellectually! But like doing the exact same shit this Alex Marlowe person does, who's the chief editor of Breitbart News. Which is like, we need to, we need to crush and be aggressive and destroy the left, no matter what the cost. Oh, but I disavow the violence, as if that's going to sort of like get rid of all the shit that you said before that. Yeah. And then he says something very weird for the general trend that we get on Ezra's show. And I know this is very tough for conservatives, because we all have libertarian streaks and we would love for just the free market to sort this stuff out. Uh, but we're running out of time. The free market thus far has benefited the people who are trying to control our speech and our freedoms. And these are people who are not elected. No one put them in charge. Uh, they're just these huge businesses, particularly out of Silicon Valley with these giant multinational interests who don't care about America. They don't care about Canada. They care about their bottom line and advancing this left-wing globalist agenda. Which tells me they're not really for free markets as much as they like to pretend that they are. They want a market controlled by their daddy figures, like a Trump or a Peter Thiel or an Elon Musk. They like to pretend that the free market is independent of the state, but really... I think even they understand that it's the state that enforces the existence of a market and they want a state that favors them and therefore a market that favors them. Yeah. He then says no one elected them. But again, he believes in an ideology or likely he, he platforms an ideology that doesn't care about democracy, ironically. But then he goes, all they care about is their bottom line and their globalist left wing agenda. So again, he's throwing in globalism and all that fun anti-semitic shit then he says but the other thing is we do need to build our own stuff and it's really hard to do the parlor tried to build their own twitter and amazon threw them off their servers and it created a huge headache that they haven't fully recovered from though i'm optimistic they will down the road uh, but this is why it's going to be a multi-decade process and so if you're a financier and you're watching this if you've got someone with money if you want to support independent media I, I recommend doing it hi coke brother who's left um Please, yeah. money. Please, hi. Yeah. Please, money. Or the Mercers, Peter Thiel. Need like, money. Courting these like huge billionaires, but this is like exactly what Ezra has been like. Like he criticizes like you know the Googles and the Facebooks, but like this is the same shit. They just they're it's like they're not against big people, big billionaires financing their like media empires. What they're against is the left wing doing it. Well, I mean, and it's not even the left wing. It's not. Like, yeah. I don't know, but it is very, like, for the most part, a lot of advertisers have pulled public funding away from this in at least, you know, a North American context. Because, you know, we are recording this on June 1st, the first day of Pride Month, and it's kind of all I'm seeing are those, like, screenshots of all the different companies where, like, in North America and Western Europe, they change their logo to, like, have a rainbow in it. And then in every other place in the world, they don't, because ultimately they're doing what profits them and not anything based on any sort of, like, actual ideology or belief that they hold. It's just whatever helps the money go up. 
But they're left wing because of that, because they're so woke and they've been taken over by all the leftist communist radicals. It's also worth noting that one of Yarvin's point, the the neo-reactionary, is that, uh, I mean, he, when he, in his writings, he re- references works that like predate the McCarthy era to sort of like propose this idea that left wing radicals have constantly been trying to gain into the institutions and that McCarthy was good, actually. And what we need is more of these purging of communists from society. So you can also see that sort of like trend in both Ezra and Alex's uh, speech and writing. But uh, to further that as well, they end. Uh, Alex wants to end with a bit of a teaser. Alex Marlowe here. He wants to end on a teaser. So he goes, I've identified who I believe is the new Soros operating in the United States. Uh, I've ex- exposed the extent to which American businesses are doing business with the communist Chinese and how much they're willing to compromise in order to maintain access to China. Uh, some of the stuff is truly frightening. The conflict of interest in terms of the brand name people in our establishment press. So uh, there's a lot of revelations in the book as well. And I think a lot of explanation of where we are and how we got there. Well, I can hardly wait to learn who this new Soros is because the old Soros was bad enough. Alex Morlow, great to, to see you. Thanks for your time. Good luck out there. Did we get to find out who it was? We did not get to find out who it was. <laughs> okay. It's a mysterious billionaire. But you notice they go from being like, we want to create a new... <laughs> Or we're going to launder ideas subtly about how we want to create a neo-feudal state. We also recommend that any billionaire financer that wants to support us is more than welcome to support us. But we know that there's the one evil left-wing Jewish person who's pulling the strings. But I have the new one. And I wonder if the new one's going to be Jewish. That'll be, uh, that'll be something to behold. I bet it'll be Zuckerberg. That's the only one I can think of in the U.S., so that was a special episode that I had to listen to. <laughs> but we <laughs> I told you this episode's going to be long. So God. we now move on to May 26th. And Ezra wants to talk about an article in the National Post about a YouTuber who's also a conspiracy theorist. Ezra then plays a few clips of this uh, supposed YouTuber where he seems like a normal person. So they're just talking about family and life or whatever. And he's like, look, this person's uh, just so normal. Why is the National Post talking about this? And then he plays an ad of this, or not an ad, but another clip of this person promoting Bitcoin. And I should remind you that all the people involved in like neo-reaction, they all love cryptocurrencies because their ideas escape, right? They want to leave society. So they want to create their new currencies and go flee to, to the birds. So interesting that this is also being taken up by a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, it's not too surprising but also kind of terrifying that uh this shit is permeating everywhere i hope every crypto investor loses every (laughs) cent (laughs) yep i want that shit gone i want them to blow up every computer storing records of it like just out of here no more so then ezra finally spits it out which is that this uh cryptocurrency supporter is trudeau's half-brother kyle kemper He also informs us that, uh, according to this National Post article, that Kemper is also an anti-vaxxer and is uh, is a QAnon supporter. Now, I read the article and I don't actually think that he's a QAnon supporter. At least he's like QAnon adjacent in the same way that I think Ezra is. So Ezra then goes on to say that like... Some of Kemper's views hove close to QAnon. The discredited conspiracy theory that alleges Satan-worshipping pedophiles are running a child trafficking ring and plotted against Donald Trump. 
Yeah. Um, here's Bill Gates, the billionaire, and Jeffrey Epstein, the child trafficker. Uh, we now learn that Melinda Gates contacted a divorce lawyer after she discovered her husband's relationship with Epstein, the child trafficker. And then there's, of course, the Hollywood child trafficker, Harvey Weinstein. Which part exactly is the National Post saying is the conspiracy theory? Haven't those all been proved in conspiracy facts now? Is there, is there any doubt that Jeffrey Epstein was a child trafficker and that Bill Gates visited him endlessly? Huh? Are those QAnon talking points now? Apparently, the, the thing that's annoying is he does this every single time that QAnon is brought up. He always jumps to Epstein and goes, maybe, maybe QAnon was right. But it's like, yeah, pet, no one says that like pedophile elites don't exist. No one says that. The argument is whether or not the Democratic Party is harvesting adrenochrome and that Trump is some secret deep state person working with like... <laughs> trying to uncover the secret cabal of like demonic pedophiles right he is still president after all yeah <laughs> well isn't joe biden a body double or some shit yeah anyways QAnon people they're special no um i think they grew a fake biden body and moved trump's consciousness into it all right <laughs> something like that but it's also worth reminding like the the neo react this is a, like another funny thing there's so many things in this epi- uh this episode that just like links back to neo reaction which is that a lot of neo reactionaries are roman catholics and really support uh catholicism because it like fits in with their like worldview of what their like feudal state would look like uh and if you want to name the one institution that most people associate with pedophilia it's the fucking roman catholic church Yet that never, that part never gets brought up on Ezra's show, ever. And speaking of, you know, neo-feudalism, I can't wait for the succession crisis because uh, Justin Trudeau's children aren't old enough to succeed him, so his half-brother Kyle Kemper (laughs) tries to claim the throne, and then uh, the different uh, provinces and counties take different sides, and there is a... Regency versus the usurper. It's going to be a great time, I gotta say. Uh, we can throw a Wexit in there in the meantime. Quebec can, you know, Quebec Libre and like, oh, it's going to be so fun. You know, not a fan of Justin Trudeau, but uh, gotta say, given uh, Kyle's politics, I think I like Justin more than Kyle. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, like, I'll support the Regency. Yeah. Sophie Trudeau can rule until Justin's kids are old enough. I'm already having thoughts about the connections with Neil Reaction. And as I said before, like when we were talking about Alex Marlowe in the sort of like piece before, Alex never brought up Peter Thiel. I did. But now Ezra just drops in. Peter Thiel has decided that Rumble is the competitor, the YouTube slayer. Am I right? It seems to be the case, yeah. And actually, uh, Peter Thiel's making a lot of political donations at the moment, um, in addition to this donation to an alternative tech platform, which is fighting censorship. He's also donating to um, to, uh, to Blake Masters, his, uh, his, his, uh, his deputy, who's rumored to be considering a Senate run in Arizona, to, uh, to J.D. Vance, the author, who's um, 
uh, probably running for the Senate in Ohio. So uh, Thiel seems to be taking more of an active role in um, in fighting against uh, the woke culture that's taking over America and that took over Silicon Valley. <sighs> and again, what was he saying about Mark Zuckerberg at the beginning of this thing? I'm not even a fan of Mark Zuckerberg. Like, the, It's just this idea that like somehow he does not like Mark Zuckerberg. But like Peter Thiel financing his media companies, that's totally fucking cool. He's cool with that. And then it's like, what does it say about your politics, Ezra? Are you now going to be beholden to big Peter Thiel and like convinced that everything that Peter Thiel is doing is correct? Because uh, again, Ezra is now putting his stuff on Rumble. Like, yes, he probably will be because <laughs> him and Peter Thiel agree. Sure. I mean, but that's the thing is they already agreed, right? Yeah. That's why like a lot of this stuff is silly about... Uh, influence i mean like that's not to say that influence can't happen but a lot of the time financial backers already support media companies that agree with them but then to further my thoughts about uh this neo-reactionary shit ezra says so you've got to go deeper and deeper and deeper frankly you need your own bank but um i think it's really smart that that rumble is thinking ahead to well how did they go for parlor how did they kick them off how can we do our best to be self-sufficient, like, uh, like a compound in the country or like an island of their own? Because it will come to that one day. And Peter Thiel is known for creating like island states out of nowhere, like using like floating barges and shit like this to create his own like new uh, countries, right? Like this has been speculated on. What? Well, it's not new countries, but they, like, skirt laws because they're, like, on international waters. And they're just, like, floating, com like, Fuck. compounds. And the idea is, like, they can go there and do whatever they want because they're free. They're in the sea, right? And so it's been speculated that Peter oh Thiel does a lot of this shit. But it's, like, he's, like, feeding into that same language. But, again, that feeds into the neo-reaction idea where they want to escape. They want to exit society, start their own feudal colonies. And Ezra's basically stating that out loud on his fucking show. He wants to leave society. He wants to be self-sufficient. He wants to be like a compound in the country or an island all on his own. Ezra then says that Alex Jones and Parler were not actually shut down because they did anything criminal. Uh, <laughs> which is like partly true. I mean, Parler, not so much. I think Parler got shut down mainly because a ton of people on their platform were committing terrorist uh, or at least planning terrorist attacks. So that's fun. Alex Jones, he mostly got kicked off partly because of his involvement in a lot of uh, uh, inspiring of mass killers, but also because he has uh, ongoing lawsuits having to do with his denial of the, the Sandy Hook shooting. I don't know if this made it off of uh, Tumblr, but Alex Jones briefly joined Tumblr for literally one day before the entire site harassed him so much that he, like, deactivated his account. <laughs> so, get good other social media. Ezra then promotes Ron DeSantis of his ideal uh, president. In recent weeks, my favorite for the 2024 Republican nomination, I'm a foreigner, so I don't really get much of a say, but I love Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. I just wanted to highlight that because he's been doing this frequently. Ron DeSantis is the current governor of Florida who... Uh, promoted that bill that said that you can just run over protesters uh, and is completely anti-mask, anti-COVID restriction, and wants to prevent people from voting. Like a really shit person. And Ezra just fucking loves him and promotes him almost every week. So 
just a heads up, probably that's a sign that a lot of right-wing people are going to support Ron DeSantis as their next sort of like president, and I'm sure he's going to have a presidential run next election. My guess. Ezra's guest is Alam Bakari, who's another Breitbart writer. And uh, interesting to note, he was the ghost writer for Milo's piece that promoted the alt-right and neo-reaction. <laughs> of course. I didn't know that about Alam Bakari. He's on Ezra's show all the time, and I, I, he's just boring and annoying, and I always just avoid him because all his every all he ever talks about when he's on Ezra's show is about how big tech is censoring everything and big tech is bad big tech this big tech that and uh it wasn't until like i was researching for this episode when i reread that breitbart article that i read years ago and was like holy shit alan bakari was the one who fucking wrote it and then milo just took the credit for it (laughs) what a small world uh yes and the sad thing is so alan alan bakari and milo had in their email exchanges with each other, acknowledging the fact that they were using their identity to be able to soft pedal this shit. So Alan Bakari is uh, a brown person, and Milo is uh, gay, but also married to a black man, and they utilized their identity to see, oh, clearly we can't be white nationalists, and clearly we can't be racist assholes. We're just putting forward neo-Nazi and neo-reactionary talking points. So isn't that fun? And they acknowledge this in their emails. So again, for all the people who complain so uh, heartedly about how they don't like all this identity politics shit, that's all they fucking do. They use identity politics for their own purpose. Love to live in (laughs) the year 2021. (laughs) Things are going great. But then Ezra interviews Spencer Fernando. And again, they're talking about media censorship, specifically, again, centering around the Wuhan lab theory. And Ezra plays a clip from his April 1st, 2020 show, which, you know, not April Fool's, but th- that whole show was he basically played a documentary. And we, and we talked about this on our uh, podcast episode way back when this uh, aired. But he watched a documentary about the Wuhan Virology Institute where they're studying bats and it's subtitled. So he's like, Ezra's reading the subtitles to the audience and like descriptively describing what's happening in this documentary while he watches it on his podcast. The world's worst audiobook. <laughs> and then he just plays a huge clip of it right in the middle of his interview with uh, Spencer Fernando. And it's all to like for him to cue up this thing where he goes, what's, what's the odds that the bats were being studied at the lab? I found like an excellent meme. Which is like, it shows like a giant crater and uh, this like visitor center for people who to, to visit like the crater. And then it's like, what's the odd that the crater like landed right near the visitor center? <laughs> because of the proximity of the Wuhan lab to the horseshoe bat, which I think it's like 100 kilometers away from the laboratory, it would be nearby. Like, of course, like, you would build a lab like this in the city, not out in the countryside, because there's people in the city who would be uh, with the education and degrees to do this research. And then you would drive out to the country to uh, find the bats and collect your samples and bring it back to the the virology lab. So what's the chances that this lab was studying the same bats that we speculate that this virus came from? Pretty, pretty good that they would be close, because that's what this lab is studying. Yeah. But then we get into the very fun... An exciting Winnipeg lab theory that I promised we would get back to. Ezra goes, Canada has a very high security 
virus research lab called the National Microbiology Laboratory. It's a level four virus secure, like it's a, it's where you study Ebola. Like there's not a lot of places like that. It's in Winnipeg and incredibly Chinese nationals, but not just Chinese nationals, people with the People's Liberation Army, like Chinese military researchers were allowed to work there to study these viruses in Canada with Canada's knowledge, permission, cooperation. They actually published papers with the PLA. And this is not a rumor or a conspiracy theory. We know this. The Global Mail actually had a wonderful expose on it. Mm-hmm. The RCMP and CSIS raided this facility, led to the ouster of some of these Chinese nationals. And yet anyone who talks about it is called a racist or a conspiracy theorist. There's no evidence that this is the case. As far as I'm aware, there was no raid. What happened in this story was there was two Chinese nationalists that were reported by CSIS to the government suggesting that they could be spies uh, from China. And the idea was they were trying to like possibly smuggle intellectual property out of Canada from the Winnipeg lab, which studies viruses, to the Wuhan virology lab. Now, even then, there was no evidence that they actually took any intellectual property. Part of what happened was some sort of like mess up in some forms. And the reason why we don't have that much information on this is because the government is refusing to release any information because of like government rules regarding employee like confidentiality that you're not supposed to like release employee records to the public. I do think this is a worry story, a worthy story to report on. And again, this is getting reported on in the CBC and like other places. It's an old story that dates back to like to before 2019, I think. But it like is constantly still being uh, investigated. And it's being investigated now mostly, or not mostly, but covered in the journal, uh, covered in the media mostly because of COVID, right? Like that's why everyone's got these heightened senses. So we're all focusing on this thing. But it seems like it mostly has to do with intellectual property and absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19. If they stole some intellectual property, then like, good job. Good for them. <laughs> like... You did it. You Why spied the fuck well. do I care about intellectual property? No, it's it's just such a stupid story. But like, of course, it's like, you know, CSIS is involved and it involves Chinese nationalists. And therefore, it's some sort of like cover up. And Canada's trying to hide their own involvement with COVID-19. And it's like, really, Ezra? And none of what he's saying is true. Like, CSIS did not raid the lab. None of that happened. Winnipeg lab COVID truther. Yeah. <laughs> Spencer then says that China is ruthless and will do anything to get their way. And I just find it funny that they like they project so much after all the shit that Ezra has been saying about like what the left is doing and all this and how they need to uh, fight back against the left and all this stuff. And in platforming someone like Alex Marlowe, who's basically like, we need to like crush these people at all costs only to be like, no, it's China who's the ruthless, ruthless ones, you know? Ezra ends the segment by saying something even more absurd, uh, given some of the shit that we've covered about the pro-Palestine movement and uh, what's going on with uh, Israel, which is he goes, China is a country and it isn't racist to criticize it. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) I hate it. I hate this. I hate them. They suck. 
Yeah, I know. It's like we just did <laughs> we just did two weeks of him basically conflating support uh, for Palestine with being pro Hamas, and that uh, if you don't support Israel, you're uh, a racist, a Nazi actually, because you support Hamas. And now he's going, yeah, but China's a country, and it isn't racist to criticize them. <laughs> That's a Nazi move. Hi, this probably feels abrupt, but we had over an hour or more of extra material here that I'm going to just scrap. And part of that is because I don't want this episode to go for too much longer. But also, it was kind of redundant, and I feel like you would all get the point. Part of it, I could, like I could sum it up right here, was basically Ezra wanted to talk about how the military is becoming more LGBTQ friendly and therefore is becoming demasculinized, while also the left wants to masculinize women's sports by letting trans athletes play on women's sports. That is the sum of it. And then he has on Barbara Kay and Linda Blade to promote a book, which is called Unsporting, and is actually being released by Rebel News. And the funny thing is, Ezra actually admits in the interview, even though he like read it prior to publishing it, that he was surprised at the level of facts in this book. I don't know. I, it was more scientific than I thought it would be. Um, it was more facts, not just feelings, than I thought it would be. That being said, every time that I've checked in with both Barbara... Kay's and Linda Blade's work outside of this context, there is no facts. It is all feeling. It's all just a vague sense of like, somehow there will be more injuries if we let trans people play, but they never show any data to suggest that that's the case. So to sum it up, I don't really give a fuck about their feelings. They can go to hell. And in fact, I would recommend you to go uh, hashtag firebarbacay because the fact that we have a transphobe who has a regular column in one of the biggest newspapers in Canada is a fucking travesty and is an indictment of our country. I mean, a lot of things are an indictment of our country, but that's just like one extra notch of an indictment to our shitty fucking country. So I just wanted to add that, that we're not going to play this clip. We did do a stream, so if you... Uh, want to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Imperial News, and uh, you can go see that video when it releases. We read one of, uh, we at least read through one of Linda Blade's articles that she wrote for the Post Millennial, and as you can tell uh, by our coverage of it, there, there is no facts there. It's all just feeling. It's all just, they feel icky about what's going on. And uh, yeah, so I, I just saved you an extra hour. <laughs> We've been uh, busy catching up with uh, the fact that we, we took a bit of a break because of what happened on Lon uh, in London recently. So hopefully we'll have a, a higher turnover rate for some podcast episodes uh, upcoming, and then we'll be back on track. So thank you again for your patience, and uh, I guess uh, I'll hand it over to Vienna now to tell us uh, what you should be doing. Get active. Get involved. We love you. Nikki Ashton is sponsoring a um, petition to the government of Canada uh, to make sure that Canada is kind of 
I guess, enforcing international law and also its own laws in regards to Canadian corporations and their dealings with Cuba uh, to make sure that they are not uh, in any way being roped into the American sanctions regime on the government of Cuba um, and also to call on the government of Canada to tell the U.S. to fuck off in its sanctions on Cuba. Um, so if you're a Canadian uh, resident or citizen, either, you are able to sign that. It's not just restricted to um, explicit like Canadian citizens. Anybody who is a resident or citizen can sign it. Uh, so sign that, please. Uh, and then also with the... Uh, recent discussions around residential schools in Canada and their horrific and ongoing legacy uh, to Indigenous peoples in this country that we currently call Canada, unfortunately. There is a, a donation form for the uh, Indian Residential School Survivors Society. Um, so if you have some spare funds to send their way, that would be I'm sure greatly appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't cover any of... I'm sure everyone's aware of the 215 bodies that were found in Kamloops at a residential school. Uh, children's bodies that were buried there years ago. But, uh, I mean, it, it didn't come up, partly just because of the nature of the show, because we recorded a the week prior to when this news became available so i'm curious to see if it comes up on Ezra's show my guess is he's going to avoid it completely because god forbid you talk about anything uh critical about canada beyond the fact that some like big techs are censoring them uh <laughs> but uh yeah i was glad to see that some local demonstrators like sort of like last minute came together collected a bunch of shoes and did a demonstration outside of one of the roman catholic churches uh within town and it's important to highlight that, like the Roman Catholic Church was largely responsible, like not just the Roman Catholic Church, it was our government too, but with the help of the Roman Catholic Church to uh, basically commit a genocide in our country. Not basically, they, they they did. They committed a genocide and... Are committing. Ongoing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and I mean, Ezra likes to pretend like that this never happened, that how dare you associate Canada with genocide. He says this all the time when we're responding to Stephen Gilbo, but... We are a genocidal nation, and that's uh, and as uh, Vienna just pointed out, it's it's ongoing, and so uh, I'm glad locally we had people uh, a big enough crowd to gather enough shoes to make uh, uh, I think a potent symbol uh, of what went on in this country, and so uh, yeah, solidarity with all those who are reliving some trauma because a lot of these survivors are still alive. Uh, again, a lot of the residential schools, they, I mean, some of them closed in the seventies and stuff like that, but like some of them existed up until like the, the late nineties, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I think it was 96. Yeah. So, uh, solidarity for those who are grieving and, uh, yeah, I have no other way to, uh, <laughs> transition off of that in a very, uh, kind of polite thing, but, uh, but yeah, solidarity with that. And if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far and you've finished considering donating to all the causes that we just listed, uh, please uh, give us a few bucks over on Patreon. I just want to throw in a plug, which is that uh, we do put a lot of work into this. And 
it would be nice if uh, we had some financial compensation for that. But again, we understand if people are struggling and can't afford to give. But if anyone who's listening who's like, I got a few bucks that I don't mind parting way with, a couple bucks a month. It's not that much, and it'll help us out greatly. So please consider it, and you can donate over on patreon.com slash imperialnews. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. You can also find his new project at Facebook. Doc, or Facebook. Uh, I think the project's called Head in a Box. Thank you for listening. And the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You canceled. Uh-huh. You're done. Out of all the things we talked about today, you in particular, you're done. Got him. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.